Hello everyone, this is Mirko Guerrini and I welcome you to the Jazz Transcription Clinic, a monthly interviews podcast where we talk with accomplished jazz doctors about their lives, career and their personal secrets on the art of transcribing. If you want to improve at jazz, stay tuned and follow the Jazz Transcription Clinic on the socials for more content. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is being recorded. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be here today. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Jazz Transcription Clinic podcast. Uh, today's guest doctor in the clinic is uh, possibly one of my favorite musicians I have ever had the pleasure to play with. And I met this beautiful man uh, several years ago uh, when I started visiting Melbourne uh, for playing and for a little bit of teaching. And I fell in love immediately with his uh, musicianship, his way of Uh, looking at music and I have many stories that uh, eventually I could tell in, in this episode if we have the occasion. He's a multi-award winner, one of the most acclaimed uh, guitarists in Australia and also internationally recognized uh, guest doctor for today is the one and only Stephen Magnusson. Good day, Steve. Hello, Mirko. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, has been a while since, you know, we, sure has. we first met. But God, it sure has, hasn't it? It's what, how many years has that been? 15 years or something? Yeah, it's been something like that, but I wasn't living in Melbourne back no. then. Uh, but yeah, possibly you're right. The first time I, I came to Melbourne was 2005, so 16 years ago. Yeah. And it's wow. been a while, but you haven't changed much. <laughs> and, you know, it's we, the lighting. It's the it's lighting. The lighting. Yeah. We both are dyeing our facial hair to look older. Yeah, and yeah of course. More mature, of course. intelligent, yeah. smart. And, and having bits pulled out of the top of my head as well, just to kind of give help the aging process, you know. Yeah. That, you know, makes us lose better musicians. <laughs> at all um, well uh, I have already introduced you so if you do agree I think we can just jump in for sure it sounds wonderful great so this podcast Steve it's all about transcribing and I remember for example that in one of our uh, trips that we did together to Italy to take some Australian students to Prato, to the Monash Center in Prato. I remember uh, founding you in your apartment, practicing some, like, should I say Bach transcriptions? Yes. So, yeah. uh, because this podcast is all about transcribing, I shoot the first question to you, which is, why do you transcribe? I thought about this question, you know, being a musician is a, is essentially like being a human being, you know, when you 
are younger and you, you know, your family that is around you, you often learn to brush your teeth by watching your parents or how to hold a fork, you know, and it's trial and error and you miss and you make mistakes. And so you sort of, you learn things by copying others. And, you know, the journey of a, me as a musician, especially, um, well, essentially when I first started playing the guitar, you know, I did learn to, you know, understand notation and then, you know, as a young child, try and, you know, translate that onto the instrument. But at the same time, even before that, what led me to the guitar, of course, was the music that was being played on the radio. And I remember when I first got the guitar before I even had a lesson, I wanted to play something. So I, I had to work out what, what is that song? Like, how can I, how can it sound like that song that, that was on the radio that I loved when I was a child? So I'd try and work it out. And I didn't even know how to even play the guitar. Then I didn't even know what the notes were called, but I kind of went, ah, oh, if I played this interval, it sort of sounded like this tune. And to be honest with you, I don't even know how accurate I was at the time, but it gave me the impression that I was getting closer to what that copying that thing that, that was so magical and somewhat mystical, you know, cause I didn't know what was, what the ingredients were. I didn't understand anything. All I knew was that this instrument was sort of this tool that could transport me to imitating what was on the record to the best of my abilities at a, you know, at an age of, you know, whatever that six or something like that. So sure. it was just that, that was the first kind of experience of kind of transcribing something by just trying to imitate one of the great pieces of music in my life, you know? And yeah. to be honest with you, I can't even remember what they were, what these piece, one of them I can, which was, you know, like it was a rock, rock and roll song from, you know, the seventies, you know? Yep. Um, so that got me into this idea of transcribing is this essentially was the way of kind of feeling the same feeling that these performers were, you know, kind of producing and was coming out of these speakers at my parents' place. That's interesting. And there is a question that I have for you and which reveals my deep, deep ignorance when it comes to guitar. You know, I play few different instruments, but I definitely cannot produce anything even close to a, a nice sound on a guitar. And I always found it more difficult to imagine because, for example, on the saxophone or the piano, which are the instruments that I, I can play a bit, uh, you have one note, one key, you know, for each sound that you hear. While on the guitar, you can produce the same note in many different ways. Even though I understand now that the sound might differ a little bit depending on which strings you are playing that note, uh, but was it something that uh, when you started transcribing, was it clear or it was a bit confusing? 
It, it is a bit confusing. You know, the guitar is this, is this kind of, like you just said, there are something like 4.2 fingering possibilities for every single note, wow. some, some equation, you know? So, so everything's going to get you into sort of paint you into a corner, but at the same time, the positive aspect of that is that people say have this sort of unique sonic sound touch and also the phrasing possibilities they really vary in terms of how you want to express that idea hence um you know someone playing the same phrase and this happens of course on every instrument because everybody is different in the, in their physical manifestation of their idea but the guitar is so literal that this thing this note here is there is there is there so when it came to transcribing these things especially when i got into the idea of transcription of improvised music jazz the entry points for a lot of that music after a, certainly not maybe not the first few solos but they were horn players so i didn't have any I wasn't trying to mimic the guitar anymore. It was more about, oh, it's a saxophone or it's a trumpet and, or it's a drum, it's a snare drum or something. So then my imagination had to come into play in terms of, well, it's about then from, you know, playing uh, the guitar to emulate the phrasing of, you know, Miles Davis. Okay, well, where's the articulation? How is he sliding into that note? You know, all of the sort of the nuances that then the fingerings of the guitar can help me sort of navigate to the best of my ability at that time, because some of these things were quite primitive from, from, from myself in terms of working out how I could best obtain that phrasing because that was the thing that was so it was just so apparent that when i heard those great solos that i still listen to now is that of course it's the the notes you're getting you're copying the notes and the rhythm but there's so much more there's all the glue that holds it together which is the articulation and the dynamics and the length of note and and all of those sort of nuances Plus, what else is happening in the rest of the band, you yeah. know, which is another can of worms, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, you know, then it goes into that other realm. But at that stage, I was probably just fixated on that on that instrument, you know. Yeah. So, you know, that was that was a real thing of trying to, well, how does how do I how do I navigate that? And, you know, at first it was just, okay, I'm just trying to cop the rhythm and the and the notes. And then it's like, okay, how do I how do I how do I slur that like that instrument um and you know there because of the great guitar players that i did listen to at the same time they were inspirational in terms of and my teachers that helped guide me to sort of go well you know if you want to articulate it in a more of a vocal way maybe you have to start exploring not articulating every single note I mean, it's really logical, but when you're young, you sort of go, oh, yeah, okay. And, you know, 
it, although this was through the sort of the jazz kind of prism, the rock guitar players that I loved, especially the heavy rock guitar players that were using extended techniques, they sort of influenced that as well because they sound more horn-like to me now as I get older. Because they they look at art they look at so much in terms of slurring and articulate and versus just hitting every single note, you know. Yeah. Some do, some do, but a lot of them slur and fret and slide and create this sort of um, vocal like quality, you know. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting to me that you said at first I wanted to get rhythm and the notes, and you s said it in a way that it looked very natural. But uh, I want to point out, you know, for all the listeners that rhythm is the first thing that you need to get. Uh, it's the most difficult. Most of the times the rhythm, you know, you can spend like 20 minutes on like how to put those seven notes inside three quarters of a beat. And you start thinking, okay, if I write this, and then you feel, oh, it's not accurate. Yes, the rhythm is the first way to express ourselves, and uh, the pitch is almost secondary. You know, it's mm. first mm. the rhythm, and then how you play, uh, mm. and then it comes the pitch. But sometimes you only figure out later, oh, it's not a G sharp, it's a G natural, but you got the essence which is in yeah. the rhythm and in how you play. So, sorry, yeah. I, I had to do a little bit of a, uh, yes. No, that, that is so, that, that's so vital because, you know, we all know that, you know, as you go further down this pathway of, of being a interactive musician, that the rhythmic component in music, which is, a pulse we're dealing with time all the time all of the time <laughs> and it's all about negotiating that i mean if if it doesn't you know everyone tell, talks about this if it doesn't feel good it's probably not going to be good you know so that was the thing that you notice when you hear when you listen to frank sinatra or somebody that's especially vocalists because they have this ability to push and pull that that was so kind of like I said, mysterious. Like, how the hell does that? How the hell is that working out? And and you know, some of the rhythmic structures, like you just mentioned, they are they defy kind of, you know, basic subdivisions that you yeah. that you spend time when you're first beginning looking at. You know, just how you divide a, a beat up in all the sort of systematic ways, and then you hear someone like that that just flies across the bar, and you go, wow, how does that land? You know, and those things are just, like you said, it's a rhythmic music that we play and we yeah. are constantly negotiating that, you know. <laughs> so this, totally this, agree. This makes me thinking of, uh, of an interview to Oliver Nelson that I read a while ago. Uh, I think he gave this interview to uh, Downbeat once he came back from a trip to uh, Africa. He went to Africa uh, for education purposes. He went to give some workshops and and then 
he came back with some strong statements. He said, you know, we, we think that jazz music uh, comes from Africa, but actually, you know, that's not completely true. That's, you know, a mixture of so many things. And he makes, he gives the example of trying to teach some kids the, the form of a blues. And he said, it was quite frustrating to see that the blues, which is, you know, commonly and generally associated with African heritage, uh, they were not able to understand. But the concept here is that they didn't get the concept of one bar in 4-4 four four because they don't right. use that. So yeah. you see that rhythm, as you said, is quite mysterious. Is It can be only uh, written uh, with, with a big compromise you know, in place. Yes. You can't yes. do it perfectly. And when it comes to be too perfect, it's not nice anymore. It doesn't sound nice anymore. So there is that little, you know, yeah. like vague uh, line there in, in, yeah. in the rhythm that makes and gives the magic to the music. Yeah. So, uh, Steve, if you, I imagine that uh, sometimes time permitting you are still transcribing some, some music, uh, what do you expect to bring home? with transcriptions what what is the outcome that you are looking for well it depends on the on the situation sometimes it is purely for just that that seed that was planted when I, i'm just looking over there i can see my first guitar is on the wall over yeah. there which just reminded me of that thing that happens when you're younger and where you are asking when, you know, what is that? You know, what's that? What's that? And I'm still so intrigued when you hear, you know, whether it's Herbie Hancock play something, you know, on a piece of music, the chart says A7 sharp five or something, and he plays a voicing and it's, you work it, you like, what is that? And you have to kind of, you know, so you work out the notes and then you realize that it, it's so far away from the the symbol that's on the page. All he's doing is reacting to the moment, what happened before, where it's going. But this thing is just, and how it's connecting with the band, the rhythm and all of that, but the material, just kind of that childlike quality of sort of saying, what is that? You know, like, wow. Because, you know, music is still, for me, such a an unknown, you know. I, lo I love the unknown. So for what I get out of it is, firstly, the buzz. Like, it's the hit of, like, what is that? Oh, my. You know, and it could be transcribing, you know, some you know, three instruments that are just playing some sort of harmony off an arrangement of three horns, or it could be, you know, a bar of or three beats of Shostakovich string quartet that you just go, wow, what is how those 
how that viola is sitting there and the cello and how do they work together? I mean, you get that buzz or it could be just <coughs> the way that somebody's actually just sitting behind the beat. You mentioned Oliver Nelson, you know, yeah. one of the big solos transcribing for me was, of course, Stolen Moments solo, yeah. you know. Eric Dolphy's flute solo, he's just caned it and then suddenly there's three notes that he enters with that, you know, these th that just rock you. That's the one. And then he repeats it again. And then he goes off on this little, the way he develops that, that thematic thing. And that becomes pretty much the basis of the whole solo is those three notes, yeah. you know, and, and how that glues the band together. Um, so for me, it's not necessarily even an outcome. It's more of a buzz to say, like we just happened then we, we talked about a solo that informed me so much about narrative storytelling, how somebody can set up a structure and say, I'm going to deal with this. We've just had Eric Dolphy tear the thing to pieces. And now I'm going to just sit, sit still with these, this incredible three notes with an amazing sound, by the way, and the band's just cooking behind him. And he generates this incredible journey on a on a minor blues and kind of makes the whole thing sort of still you know and so for me that's the outcome the outcome is the fact that i it kind of got me thinking so much about not necessarily what he played but the fact that that he told this story and that story set me up on, well, how can I generate narrative? You know, how can I create that sort of storytelling? You know, and I, I, I struggle with even with describing that with words because, you know, that is the, that's the thing that is so still the unknown for me in terms of how the individual takes takes material and develops it. You know, um, yeah. so. Transcribing is kind of like that. It's like grabbing something, looking at the bigger picture of it, or sometimes it's just looking at the little mit, little fragment and how that person developed the fragment or didn't develop it and how I might take that fragment and then go take it away and manipulate it, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's such a – so there's no real – it's funny because we outcome is so subjective almost. Like, I don't even know what happens sometimes with it, you know, you know, you sound... it's, this is when it's, when it's not, it's not a job. It's kind of like just my, my, my journey, yeah. you know. You sound like a very curious kid, you know, that wants to look inside the toy and yeah. look at the magic trick, you know, that there is. And sometimes you open the toy and you can't work out you know, how that little mechanism inside does the trick, but at least... But I was that sort of kid. Yeah, I yeah. was that sort of kid. Yeah. But you know, I, you I, pulled the the... I used to pull the clock apart. I used to pull <laughs> clocks apart and and I was really into, um, uh, you know, getting batteries and having little globes and making, you know, elect current, electricity current and saying, how does that work? And I didn't understand, but I used to try and mess around with it a lot when I was, when I was a little kid, you know, so I was always kind of going, well, how does that work? You know, how does, 
And, and, and I think transcription does, you know, it can give you the, it can give you the, the buzz and you can look at the, the bigger journey, which is transcribing the complete solo, or it might be eight bars, or it might be one chorus of a form of a show type tune or, yeah. you know, and there so, have been several times that that's occurred, you know. This is kind of responding to my next question, which is how do you choose the solos that you are going to transcribe? So you are saying that you are intrigued by something that you listen to and without having a specific plan, you just grab what you need to grab. Am I right? Sometimes. And then there have been times where, you know, I can think of Keith Jarrett's solo on Stella by Starlight, Standards Live, you know. That solo was, I can, you know, I learnt it probably through the way that most people, when they listen to something over and over again, is that they sing it. Yeah. So I can put that on now and I'll sing along with it. But then I went, okay, I'm going to transcribe the first two choruses. Yeah. And by the time, and this is when I was 16 or something. So by the time I got to the end of the second chorus, he starts playing more information and I got a little bit lost. But that first two choruses are just, you know, I can still play them. Well, I haven't played it for years, so I don't know if I could, but I, <laughs> but I, I could put the record on and it was such a, a way of kind of going, well, there's that, you know, and then sometimes it is a complete solo from the beginning to the end, like some Jim Hall solos or Miles Davis's uh, When Lights Are Low. That was a that was a solo that I transcribed from the beginning to the end because I love the journey. I love the way that he dances on the time. And um, so sometimes they're, they're complete and other times they're just you know, okay, what is going on with that eight-bar break, you know, yeah. that that musician plays that you're just going, what is happening? How did, how did they do that, you know? Or, you know, we were, I was looking at a transcription the other day I was of Herbie Hancock on his There Is No Greater Love Off Four and More where he gets into that chorus where he's just playing triplets for almost the whole chorus. Um, and... It was just, it's just magical. So, you know, it, it, it varies, you know, I, I don't have any, um, it's what, what I choose is often because the music is blowing me away. Yeah. You know, like I've mentioned all these musicians now because they're all kind of my heroes <coughs> and I, and those particular records like four and more and standards live and, uh, you know, saxophone colossus or you know the miles davis albums from 57 all the way through all the way through yeah. you know like there's albums where you know you just would listen to something over and over again and, and you can kind of sing it you yeah. can sing it and you just love you love it it's almost like you live with it don't you you know yeah. the bridge sonny rollins you know <laughs> you like just listen to that record so much so that that's what they're the tunes that and the takes that I would actually hang out with because not because I want to be that I just want to work it out like I said before what's that 
you know? Yep. What's that? Yeah. And yeah, you remind me that sometimes I pick a solo because it, um, in my memory, you know, it tells a story about me because maybe yeah. through that track, I was able to understand something or it, it has, it was a turning point of some yeah. extent. I remember the first time it was a drummer, a friend of mine, and he gave me, he used to give me uh, vinyls, you know, to lend me vinyls to, to listen to. And one day he gave me Fish Out of Water, Charles Lloyd. Mm. And I didn't know who Charles Lloyd was. And I remember I put on, you know, this, this record and I was blown away. So, and in that moment I discovered, you know, a, a different way to think at the tenor saxophone sound. Yeah. And I started doing some experiments. Yes. I started, you know, copying him. I wanted to understand what was going on. And so I discovered that by moving my upper teeth much forward on the mouthpiece, I could get that fluty um, sound that, that he got, especially yeah. on the high register. So it, it's part of your personality, of your story, of who you are. And sometimes it's yeah. just one track, you know, that does yeah. that. There is yeah. a moment in your life where, whoa, and, and then you spend like the next six months, you know, doing some work that is related to that one yeah. track. Yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking, you know, getting high. I'll never forget buying Still Live Talking, the Pat Metheny group. Yep. It was 1986. I wasn't feeling great and girlfriend problems when I was a teenager. Got the record. And I'll never forget that third wind guitar break, eight bar solo break that he plays and it was life-changing it was just like i don't know what is happening you know and so i had to transcribe it and ben robertson a, a great bass player you, you know ben yeah. we used to talk about that solo so then we both transcribed it you yeah. know and we and we'd compare notes oh did you get it and then we'd you know and then we'd try and play it you know we'd both try and play it um and we still talk about it now. We, yeah. we still get together. And, and since then, now you can get on the internet and I can see how accurate or probably how, how wrong I was at the time. With, But like you said, it was it was the process of doing it was so informative, you know. And it was and it becomes you. Not not you don't not to sound like them, just to go down this rabbit hole of possibilities of yeah. mute musical form and musical language that's so unfamiliar so you're just sort of grasping it you know and Dol eric dolphy solos were huge for me too because i was it was a bit of a what the hell is going on the first time i ever heard him yeah you know i just didn't know what was i didn't even understand what was he doing you know and so yeah. then transcribing a few lines and solos you know just helped me go wow he's he's playing on the up at the top of partials of the chord. He's sort of playing all the extensions. Yeah. Wow. You know, it was a real wow moment. You know? I should I should adopt a new motto for my podcast, like tell me the transcriptions you made and I tell you 
who you are. <laughs> it's yeah, they 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 do inform your life. They they because you to transcribe something, you know, as and I'm sure you've talked about this so much with different musicians over this podcast that you're doing is that there's there's writing it out, there's notating it, then there's learning it, then there's singing it, then there's just listening to the thing hundreds of times, if not even more than that. Because, you know, people that I've found that when I've talked to, you know, being a teacher now, you know, if someone transcribes it just off the record and they do listen to it and they slow it down and then they write it out and then that's it and then they put it over there, I'm like, yeah, that's great. You can study that and there's a lot in that. But I, my my transcriptions were more about, like you said, they they informed me of who I was by because I was just so in love with them, you yep. know, and they kind of resonated even emotionally, you know, yep. Yep. made me cry basically. <laughs> and it's like if we have planned this, but that was exactly my next questions that are going a little bit into the procedure and, you know, the, the practical sides of transcribing. So do you write it down when you transcribe or do you write it down after you memorized or you write down bar by bar? So can I ask you what is the methodology that you use? It's so interesting you said that because you you went through a few different approaches and I've been through all of them. Like there's no, you know, there was a period where, you know, the manuscript paper would come out and you'd write it you write it down and I had to have I'm back at the in the day of the cassette player and I got really good at just rewinding the cassette you know I've yeah. still got the cassette players over there and it was just like zh, 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 yeah. back again zh, zh, what's that note what's that note what's that note? what's that rhythm and you know so that was stage one you know and then I would try and play it or I would at the same time, I was listening to it away from the notated thing, so I could sing it as well. Of course, if it was really a lot of information, maybe I couldn't sing, really sing it, but I could phrase it with my mouth and try and s sing along with it, you know. So there's that as well, because for me, like I said, that's the thing I want. I want, I want to learn it through osmosis just as much as I want to intellectually grasp it with notation. So I write it out and then I'd also, it was really important for me because maybe I was negotiating at the time, trying to crack certain harmonic codes that I was like, well, what is the relationship of that material to the form that they're playing with? And if it was a harmonic form, then well, what's going on? You know, so I definitely sit down and go, I need to analyze this now because yeah. what's happening with this chromaticism or something, an upper structure sitting on the top, up above the chord, what, why, what's, you know, so they, having it written out really helped me kind of digest that analytical side. But now as I'm getting older, sometimes I don't write them out. Sometimes I just, I just play them. I'll just try and play them, yeah. you know, so there's, I think it's changed a little bit over the years, but 
but there's still be times when I'll go, I'm going to write that out because I just really, I just really want to have that on the page, you know, because it's, it's, and also as a, you know, a guitar player, as you know, we're not the greatest readers in the world. So it certainly helped me establish my reading skills a little bit more and develop my reading skills a little bit more because I had to, you know, negotiate the rhythmic aspects and put it on the page, you know. So it's kind of, like I said, it's it's probably more about singing it now and playing it and orally digesting it than it is about um, writing it out, which it yeah. used to be much more about years yeah. ago. You know. As I used to say also to my students, you know, uh, writing it down, it's very good if you want to understand the theory behind it, but you yes. won't get the feeling of it. That is only coming through the years. And a couple of months ago, a student uh, worked on a transcription that I gave him. It was like a homework, right? And I gave uh, a solo by Ella Fitzgerald on in a mellow tone. No, not too difficult, but, you know, and he's a good student. And once he got it, he got it and he got basically the notes and the rhythm, let me say, like 90% accurate. He, uh, at the lesson, he said, okay, can you give me another solo? And I said, no, <laughs> you are not done with this one. You know, you have just completed the preparation. Now we, yeah. are, going, now we are going to study the solo. <laughs> yeah. You have just, you know, finished to setting up the ingredients. Now yeah. we are going to cook, you know, the meal. Yeah. So yeah. this is an yeah. important point that sometimes students miss, you know, that uh, to get the notes and the rhythm is just the preparation, is, you know, preparing the ingredient. But then, you know, a recipe doesn't depend on uh, ex exclusively on how much salt you put in it. It's, you know, also how you combine and understand the combination of the flavors, you know, and sometimes you need to add some salt into a cake and you might not understand this or you might not recognize when you eat it, but it's much, much better. It comes out much, much better. So yeah. That's, yeah. that's important, definitely important. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, the, the, the being, you know, engaged in, like I said, the love of it, I think is the overriding factor for me now is that I was listening to Michael Brecker two days ago, you know, the album Pilgrimage, you yep. know, with his final album, you know, and it's got, it's got all of the most amazing musicians on it. You know, it's Jack, Jack and Herbie and, and there's, you know, and Pat Metheny and, you know, and they're all going for it and they're having a great time. And I was blown away again. I haven't heard the record maybe for a few months, you know, yeah. maybe six months, but it put it on and I actually was, I was outside working and I had it on and I, I just was sort of, what, what I'm getting at is that the fan in me, uh, the musical fan that I am of all of this high level improvising that's going on was just like, I was just, I had to come in and I was sort of got a bit, 
I got a little bit upset by it because firstly, Michael Brecker's not on the planet anymore. And secondly, it's like, it blew me away, you know? And so I need the the transcription brings me closer to that, you know, just as much as, you know, the material, you know, we, we, we these days, you know, because of the internet, which is great, you know, you can grab a transcription straight off the net and have it there. Yeah. But, but I, but I, my thing is much more about, you know, the hang with it, the long hang that I'm going to listen to, you know, that anagram tune, you know, or something off that record that the way that they all negotiate that is just frightening, actually. Jack Dijonette. I mean, transcribe the drums on that. Oh my God. Wow. You know, I'm sort of, I'm a huge fan and I have to, the transcription is a way for me to get closer to that. And that's all I, that's all, that's what I get out of it always. Um, And you're right. It is just the ingredients just to write, write the notes out. You know, I just finished recently a couple of weeks ago and it's online now. I have a live version of the podcast where I transcribe in real time also to show, you know, the listeners how I do it, which is not the way to do it, but it's one way uh, to do it. And I have transcribed, I have completed the transcription of uh, The Cost of Living on Mike Brecker's first yeah. album. As the a first solist. album. And I transcribed the melody and then Charlie Hayden solo and then... Uh, Michael Brecker's solo. And those two solos, as we said before, are part of my childhood. I used mm. to listen, especially the Charlie Hayden solo, it was like I could figure Charlie Hayden playing a tree. I could feel like the live wood that he was playing and, and all those melodic lines that he played on, on such a beautiful uh, tune always drove me nuts but I only transcribed recently because I never transcribed it before I did a transcription of Michael Brecke, uh which is of course incredible and but you know coming after that solo uh, uh, it would have been a, a great inspiration of course even even for the musicians and what a and what a record you know for me that record was a bit of a a game changer because for me it was like 8081 the album 8081 the second version of it yeah you know it was almost the same band without Dewey Redman and with Kenny Kirkland yeah and the way that they enter that opening track is just like whoa here we go you know so in fact There is a correspondence between the fact that the first and the last album had, you know, Jack DeJanet and Pat (laughs) Metheny on it. And unfortunately, Charlie Hayden was already, you know. He was, uh, he was already, he, well, he was alive still. Yeah, he he was alive. But but he was, but he, he wasn't, he, he was having problem with the tinnitus and he wasn't at that point in his life. Like he yeah. was back in the eighties when they were doing those records, you know. And um, yeah, Pilgrimage has also like two of the best pianists in the world. Is uh, to make a joke, it's like if he was auditioning for a pianist, <laughs> you know, it's Hebe Hank oh, and know, Brad Meldau in, yeah. in the same recording. 
Yeah. So, you know, like, again, it's the notice how when we're talking about music, we're fans, you know, we just, you know, what I what I thought was when I was listening to that record was that this type of those gentlemen on that record, that particular record, there are so many other records that I love, but that one is like that generation, especially, you know, Jack DeJanet of playing Jet and Herbie, you know, those two because I've seen them play live and how they are a, this generation of that that gen, last almost last generation that's alive of this jazz of world. the real ones the, yes of that yes exactly of this particular time that's like you know what do you do you know what what do you say to that and and it was just the way they negotiate language is just it's it's so exciting like I just get, I, I watch I watch Jack G, Jack Dijonet and Herbie almost every three days, just because they make me feel so good about being on this planet, yeah. you know. So I've I've worked out a lot of things from them, cracking codes about how they how they flow. Their flow is just incredible. Not to mention this, you know, their skill level is just yeah. on this other other yeah. realm. Listen and listener as listeners too. Like, whoa, you know. Yeah, oh, we could we could spend probably another couple of hours talking about that. I know, just about about Jack Dijonet, I yeah. know. Easily. Uh yeah. listen, Steve, uh I know we are both of the generations where we knew how to use this not only to write music but also to rewind tapes because <laughs> you didn't want to worn out yes. you know the tape you want to last yeah. uh, the tape for longer uh, but during these days do you use a software now when you transcribe or you no. still use your ears Tenet. I, I'm I'm sort of I'd use my ears and if I have to you know I'm big at the moment of using when I'm working like I, I write things down I use manuscript but I it's but but you know I have Sibelius up there and I use Sibelius to often finish it yeah when I when it's when it's whether it's a composition or whether it's a transcription it's so it's it's compiled there yeah because I lo I lose these and and they get tatty and they get destroyed and I spill a cup of tea on them. So yeah. Yeah, but everything kind of goes in this because yeah. it's this there's sketches. It's a sketchbook and then I have and it comes a, a with large... you. Yeah, and it's easy to have it's easy just to have it in your bag and it's also certainly during this period of time of being home alone a lot. Oh, not alone, but alone in this room is that that it's just a great way of the immediacy of grabbing an idea and yep. manipulating it, negotiating it, taking it like if it's a transcription or an idea from someone else, I can write it down. And so I don't use that that for transcribing or composing generally. I have used it for composition sometimes, but ugh, I don't like starting there. I don't like starting on it. It's too, it doesn't gel with me. And I find that I get a little bit, I'm not connected to it as much. Yeah. yeah. But it's great for later on, you know. Yeah, I know that uh, the most popular 
softwares or apps for transcribings are those ones that can slow down the music or where you can create loops uh, on the music. Do you ever had the need to slow down stuff? And the reason why I'm asking is also, you know, because people might be interested in knowing how you, you uh, might become as great as you uh, are. But for example, for a horn player to slow down to even like 60% speed makes us understanding a lot, for example, the tonguing and the breathing, which are two critical factors, you know, to, yeah. to be able yeah. to reproduce the shape of a line, you need to breathe in the exact moment and you need to use your tongue in the exact way. So in that way, I can I can hear exactly which notes are tongued and by how much. So it's no more for me. It was in the past, but no more for me what note is that, but more how he played that note. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally understand. And that's something that... I've used it for that purpose uh, probably about 14 years ago or something, maybe even around that time when tr that program Transcribe came out. Yep. You know, I downloaded that on this computer because this, or well, maybe not this computer, the computer before that. Um, so I would use it for, like I mentioned, Herbie Hancock voicings, like, there's this tune called The Night You Were Born off Tony Williams' album. And I wanted to work out what the what the chord voicing was. Yep. And it was so kind of, I couldn't work it out. Every single note out was flying by. So I kind of went, well, I'll slow it down to work out how that thing sits with the rhythm section, actually. It was like that thing, not even how it sat with the melody because the melody was quite simple at the top at that point in the tune but so yeah it, it's it is great for grabbing something and slowing it down to look at articulation phrasing breath like you said all of those nuances that give you this sort of insight into that person's whether it's like you mentioned ella fitzgerald or billy holiday how they kind of that note ends there and how that phrase is, you know, we're talking about the tiniest little bits of time that is the glue that actually holds it together. You yeah. know? So it's it's beautiful for that, you know. I think that, you know, like you said about the note, the note, if you once you get the notes, like we said right at the beginning of this conversation, it's like, yeah, yeah, the notes are the notes. It's like a bit like that the the Omni book, you know, the Charlie Parker Omni book. I've always shied away from that book because whenever I played those, it never sounded like Charlie Parker. You've got to put on the record. Listen to his phrasing. It's his phrasing's the most intense, you know, it's it's actually so complex, all of that stuff. And you only get that by sitting down and getting into yeah. like you mentioned, all of those little tiny elements of of reproduction of sound, you know. The notes are the notes. 
And it's it's like you know how many times it happens that we have misunderstandings with people because of a text message. Because if you take away the sound from a word, from a from a phrase, there is a big big room for you know misunderstanding. And in music, it's the same. If you look at the Charlie Parker Omnibook, that's like a text message from Charlie Parker. You don't get the inflection. You don't get the feeling. You don't get the anger or the love or the passion or the relax, you know, that originally was on that solo. Or, um, or you, or the the band. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's all, there's all, there's all that. You know, there's like I was saying. You know, that other thing that you get when you listen to music is, well, what is, how is that other musician responding or driving that idea that influences that person to say that thing there. I mean, Miles Davis is the master of listening to his albums and how the band, especially that 60s band, everything is happening because of someone else. You know, I mean, you can't deny that, you know, Tony Williams is going to throw this thing at somebody and they're going to go, yes, take that, you know, whether it's Wayne Shorter or, you know, Ron Carter. (laughs) or Herbie, you know, it's like, whoa, who's got the ball basically, you know? So I I think that's another thing that I did with transcribing, especially someone like Ornette Coleman was that, what's Charlie Hayden doing down the bottom? What's he, how's he responding or or how's Ornette responding to him, you know? There's There's a beautiful duet album that they did together. I can't remember the name of it. And, um, or it's duets by Charlie Hayden and some of them were with Ornette and I think Hampton Hawes and Alice Coltrane. And the duets, it's beautiful, just these two voices. And one can't exist without the other. So transcribing for me was, if I looked at Ron Carter playing with Jim Hall, I had to kind of work out what the two of them were doing because it's this beautiful conversation, you know. Yeah. It's incredible. You know? Absolutely. And how do you practice the solos that you transcribe or the lines, the beats that you transcribe? Do you have a routine? Um, not not at this stage, but I, I have gone through and, you know, I have tried different methods. You know, I remember years ago, um, um, I can't remember who suggested this, uh, um, saxophone player, I can't think of the person's name now, you know, the great saxophone player, American, played with played with Elvin Jones and Miles. Oh, what's his name from the 70s? Uh, Dave um, Liebman. Dave Liebman, and he was talking about transcribing, and he, years ago, he said, well, once you learn a transcription, you know, turn it off, turn the sound down and keep playing and see if you can sit with the track still, and then come back in and see where you are. And to get an idea of, okay, the bigger structure of time and phrasing and all that. So I've tried those things. Then I've tried just playing along with it. Then I've tried just to take it out of context and play it on its own. Then I've tried to reimagine it by putting my own accompaniment with it just to have a look at it then i've also if it's not a lot of notes 
sometimes then I'll, if it's say, you know, those mild, beautiful mild solos where there are a lot of space, you can accompany yourself with them too. So you can use them compositionally. So they become sort of yeah. how you can comp almost with them. You, you know, know that. So they can, they, can, they, they, can, they can really manifest in so many different ways, you know. Yeah. I have studied with, with Dave Liban and he did it to me live in person. He did you know, play this Oops. transcription and then he turned off the volume and then he was doing, yeah. you know, the recording yeah. engineer. And he's sort of just saying, get how how well, you know, like you mentioned before with, you know, tr writing the notes out is, is, the, is almost like, you know, it's just the alphabet. You know, then it's like, okay, well, where's the poetry? Where's all of that? Yeah. Once you get into, you want to get into the whole self-expression of the thing, because I mean, the other, the other side of it is like that this, like I've said to you before, it's the magic of the music is the reason why you're here. So you've got to get to that as Absolutely. well, which is, or else you're not there. You miss it. For me, I'm not there. You know, and I, I, I'm still, I'm still blown away listening to John Coltrane live at the Village Vanguard. I mean, it still yeah. just makes me go, whoa, you know. And what you are saying in in, uh, in re relation to the transcription process, you know, that uh, you want to learn it and memorize because you want to get the feeling of it. Uh, finally makes me pulling out the story that one time I was playing with you, I think it was at the Old Bennett's Lane, and yep. I like, you know, I like to observe people, to observe musicians at work, because I, I can learn a lot even by observing their manners and how they do things. And I think I wasn't, probably still a resident here but uh, it was one gig uh, where I brought in some of my original music so you sat down and you said before you know that guitar players are not the best uh, readers but that's only in, in jokes in my opinion and in my experience and so I started observing you. We were playing a tune of mine. I can't remember which one, which I couldn't play from memory because it was like freshly written. I haven't learned it. I wasn't too confident to play it from memory. So I was reading it. And, and you just... And I tried to blow one chorus at the sound check just to, you know, we were running the heads. I blew one chorus, and then I, I expected you wanted to try to play over one chorus. And you said, no, that's fine. I said, oh, okay. And I thought, firstly, you didn't like the tune, which could have been, you know, a possibility, no. a chance. And then we played the gig, and I remember clearly that you were reading the chart while I was playing. I played the head, I played the first solo. You're reading, comping beautifully as you do. And then you start your solo and your head goes down and your eyes go off like, like this, closed eye. And you played one of your, you know, beautiful, incredible solos. And I think I told you something at the end. 
I told you that I was really jealous and I probably asked you how you did it. And you gave me this answer that, you know, you only need a bit of time to play the melody, to hear the melody a few times. And then while comping on someone else's solo, you get the feeling of the tune. And then when you solo, you just, you, you got enough, you know, that you can use to solo. And I was really blown away by, by that. I oh, think that's a that's a great approach to improvise music, you know, get the feeling as soon as you can. Yeah, there's something about I remember that particular gig because I, I, sometimes when someone puts something in front of me, there's two ways of playing music for me in a in a band setting. There's the you know, and they're both great. You know, there's the rehearsing it and you get it down and especially if it's got a lot of things that you've got to get so you've got to work out how you're going to play it and then there's the other thing where you like those sort of gigs where we hadn't played much as a band new tunes and they're thrown in front of you and i'm up for i don't know what's going to happen so i just want to listen i've got a trance i've got to work the find a relationship with this structure that's in front of me and I, then I'm going to react to it and I'm going to try and hold the form as well, which is ultimate yeah. <laughs> importance. So then it's like, and I'm and you juggle those. And, and I remember that gig where during the sound check, I don't want to play everything because I'm like, I just trying to work out, okay, that's going to go there. That's working like this. And then it's like, okay, now I've got a, I've got something. And now I know how it's going to unfold the song. So I think it's going to be okay. Whereas, you know, because I've, I've kind of mapped something, you know, with a, you know, you're, you've got the same thing. You've got your material that you've been working on, transcriptions in the past, all of that stuff sort of, it's in the, in the pot roast of your brain. And then it's just like, okay, well, it's going to, it's, with a band that's responsive, I think Tony Floyd was playing that gig with us, wasn't yeah, he? Was he was. And on. and you know, play with Tony, he's gonna he's gonna throw things at you and I know how he's gonna throw some ideas at me, so I'm gonna react to that. And then it's like, okay, now it's it's showtime, you know? So it's it's such a a thing of and then and then you know the great thing about music is as you know is that if we did that five nights in a row, it's gonna things, how things change. And they don't always have that immediacy once you've done it 10 times. It, it goes it goes through another process, you know, and it's like that amazing thing. And sometimes it it does lull a bit and then it's and then it finds something new or you have to find something new within it. Or maybe something just something happens, you know. So there's all these variables about music and I loved that night for me in particular, because I can remember it, because that it was so fresh, that freshness thing where you are hanging on, you're just hanging on, you're just you're on your edge of your seat and you're ready to, and anything could happen to it at any time. And you just sort of, you're on for the ride, you know? Um, and I feel that when I listen to these transcriptions that we're talking about, 
pretty much all of them because they're from or some of them are from live concerts where that's what happened and even though that michael brecker record and pilgrimage i know that those guys only do two takes generally they don't two or three max because once you've done it you've done it yeah. <laughs> and it's that's and they've they're prepared though you know they're ready for it so then it's just like well let's go you know and and i find that that's the most amazing thing about when you're transcribing someone is that you're kind of getting this fresh thing of you know when we listen to charlie parker and we hear that now's the time solo that everyone can sing it's like he did that on the fly that day that's what it was and he never did it like that ever again you know which <laughs> yeah. is which is that's, that's that's the that's the most amazing thing about it or sunny rollins on sunny rollins on st thomas solo I mean, yeah. it's like he never played those motives, that opening motive like that probably ever again. He would have played bits of it, but it wouldn't have come out the same way. And that's that's the most beautiful thing about being engaged in improvised music, you know. Yeah. And absolutely. transcription kind of really kind of solidifies that that for me, you know. Yeah, in another episode of the podcast, uh, we came out to the conclusion that there is like a an electric circuit that goes around between what you transcribe, what gets part of your personal vocabulary, and then what comes out when you play. So it's it's like working in, in circles, right? And we came to the conclusion that when we play a jazz improvised thing not necessarily on chords but even when we if we play a free uh, imp improvisation it's basically transcribing what we hear in our head so again the process of transcribing is involved in everything that we do you know from the moment that we listen and we try to understand what's going on that's when transcription starts basically. yeah 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 it's all inclusive and i think that you know you are this interactive mode you're in this interactive mode with people on the fly and you've got this thing that you've been hanging out with and it can be you know we you know it's great to look at you know all of the structures of music and all of that but the transcription is almost like somebody's given you a poem. And if you're looking at this beautiful poetic kind of nature of music, that is that when we talk about, you know, Ella Fitzgerald singing on a standard or somebody, anybody great, yeah. is that you're getting this poetry on that night and you're trying to, you know, you, you learn so much about not necessarily through words like me discussing it with you you just learn it by because it's the dance it's like a dance yeah it's like it's it's this beautiful poetry like that that i need to kind of um that's part of who i am and and you like you said it every solo that you listen to whether it's or transcribe whether for me it's alan holdsworth or you know charlie hayden is is a classic one of just beautiful poetry it's this poetic state this unrolling unraveling of 
of this idea, you know, that that Ornette does it too, but Ornette's like a songbird. He's like, you yeah. know, it's this beautiful, majestic bird speaking, you know, yeah. doing its thing like the magpies that we have outside here. <laughs> the same sort of thing. It's that it's just meant to be like that, you know. So you learn so much from from it. And I, you know, talking to you about it now, it's not something that I even think about, but but too often anymore. But it's all it all makes perfect sense, you know. These I'm a fan of music and these yeah. people have helped elevate the experience for me, you know. And you know, this leads us to the conclusion of the episode, but also reminds me that uh, the first album that we recorded together here in Australia is called Aquaketa. And Aquaketa is a little creek in Tuscany, which was mentioned also by Dante Alighieri, who wrote the comedy, and which this year is the celebration of 700 years from his death. So here we are closing another circle. You know, you are talking about wow. poets. We are talking about music, poets, Tuscany, Florence, Dante, comedy. Oh. And so now that we have reached a very high, you know, cultural point, I drop down <laughs> to the floor <laughs> and I shoot the last question, which is the silliest question that you... <laughs> may ask to a musician like you, which is, which transcribed solo is your favorite? Oh, wow. Do you have a favorite? I mean, I know that you probably have hundreds of them, but if you have to mention just one right now on the spot, go. Oh, you've got, you've really got me now. You know, like it's, it's, um, I have to really think about this because it's there's so many that are there. Really, I'd probably have to say though that that um, yeah, it would it would probably be it would probably be out. It's 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 kind of I can't. It would either be like I mentioned before, St Thomas. Yeah. Like Sonny Rollins. Yeah. Because that was a real game changer for me. That changed the how I even heard music. Just was like, I can't believe. And and I had to work it out, you know. Yeah. It was especially fragments of rhythms and how he kind of kept the thing going. That set the ball for me in terms of how does someone tell a story? You know, like I said, yeah. the storytelling thing. And the other one. I mean, there's so many more, but there's a solo story from a stranger, Pat Metheny. Story from a stranger, Pat Metheny. That was off an album called Rejoicing. And the way that he, again, opens this with the most simplest kind of melodic fragment and how... The solo does this and it just keeps building to the point where I, first time I ever heard it, I was, I cried. Like I, ex, ex, you know, just lost it. So I had to write it out. I had to work it out. I was just like, I can't, I can't go on if I can't hang with, with this and work out the chord progression and understand this 
this journey. So those two solos were, I mean, there's so many more. It's so it's such a hard one because I mentioned I Keith Jarrett. He, I know. he was another one too. But but yeah. those two were were very big in my that beginning period of being 16, kind of going whoa, you know. But um, it's just you know to finish with a no, little bit of it's lightness. Great. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. I mean, you you want to to have those peak experiences, and that's what those solos did for me. Yeah. They they heighten the experience, you know. That's great, and of course, all the references will be in the description of the podcast or on under the YouTube video. Also, there will be some links to Steve's music, where to buy it, which is a very good thing that you can do to yourself, and also to his website and all information. So, if you are in Australia. Just and it happened that the same night that you decide to go out, Steve Magnuson is playing. Don't miss him. If you are not in Australia, get on a plane and come to listen to Steve Magnuson playing because it's worth the ticket and the trip. So thank you so much, Steve, for your time. Thank you, Marco. And for your insight uh, over the transcription process and. Uh, what else? I say hello to you. I and- just I'd just like to say thank you, Mergo, for for doing this, and it's a really wonderful way of for musicians to connect. And in this day and this time period, and what's going on on the planet, and just to talk about our love of this incredible art form. You know? Exactly, and I feel like has been only five minutes that we have spent together, but it has been a bit more. And uh, so we, we can continue. Maybe in the future we will do a second chapter uh, with you, a recap, or maybe we can do a transcription together. We will work out wonderful. something. And wonderful. so goodbye to everyone. Thanks for listening. And uh, goodbye to you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.